Welcome to Rising Stars, where Miriam Knight, publisher of New Consciousness Review, interviews exciting new voices in the world of progressive and transformational books, films, and ideas who offer intriguing perspectives on life, the universe, and everything in between. Join us as we celebrate the conscious awakening and explore many expressions of consciousness in action. Welcome, everyone. I'm Miriam Knight, and I'm so delighted to welcome my two guests today. They're J.D. Messenger and Kate Wildrick. J.D. and I met years ago when his number one bestseller, 11 Days in May, came out. J.D. was one of 37 distinguished graduates from the U.S. Naval Academy class of 1981, He's a former fireman, nuclear submarine officer, Exxon executive, Ernst & Young partner, CEO of Ernst & Young Singapore, CEO of Capgemini Ernst & Young in Southeast Asia, a TV show producer, host, and currently the CEO of Essence Enterprises. JD's passion for promoting human potential shines through all of his work, and I'm so delighted to welcome him here today. Now, my second guest is Kate Wildrick, and I met her more recently when she was exhibiting her aquaponic system at a conference I attended. She's currently the co-founder of the Ingenuity Innovation Center and spent 12 years working in the corporate world as a human capital development specialist. Kate has taught at a number of academic institutions and presented her work on generational issues and trends in the workplace to institutional audiences like the Red Cross, the World Bank, Kaiser Permanente, and the CIA. And I am delighted to have Kate with us. So welcome, both of you. I was so excited to learn about the work you're doing together. Thank you. Thank you, Miriam. It's great to be here. Anyway, let's jump right in. And you too, JD. Let's jump right in and share your work with our audience. Now, ladies first. Kate, tell us about yourself and the Ingenuity Innovation Center and what you're focusing your energies on today. Sure. Thank you so much. Um, Well, again, as mentioned, I am the co founder, and I also go by the, the title of the paradigm shifter. So what this means is is that um, my husband and I founded this center in St. Helens, Oregon on 20 acres in 2012, and this vision was really birthed out of the nightmare of the economic downturn, when at that time um, in 2009, I had been owning and operating a town in central Oregon called Service Creek, population two. And uh, <laughs> I learned what really bad country songs came from when you lose your town, you lose your trailer, that your husband, your dog dies, your cat runs away, and then I relocated back to Portland, Oregon. And at that point in my life, I really recognized I didn't want to go back to the corporate world doing any more what I call soul-killing work. So at that time when I, I had nothing to fall back on, that's when I met my new partner and husband, Aaron, and he had also been laid off, and we began to dream about new ideas. And he's a wonderful self-taught inventor um, and focuses in a lot of alternative energy solutions. And it was really through his work that it inspired me to step into my passion and purpose to basically create a center where people from all different generations and backgrounds could come together to share their gifts, their passion, and their purpose so what we've done is we've created a space 
um, to do just that. So we focus in on four different areas um, around sustainability where we tackle foods, health and well-being, water, and alternative energy. And we basically do community-supported innovation ideas. We bring people's ideas forward that they may see on YouTube or um, just getting inspired by things they may see in social media. And together, we blunder and learn, and then we share what we learn using an open-source platform. Wow. That is so impressive and, and such a sign of the times. J.D., tell our listeners about your journey. Well, Miriam, you, you, know, you and I have spoken a few times over the years, and uh, your guests can go back to some of those other interviews. But you know, the short, to get the long version, but the short story, you know, is all of those things you mentioned, left brain, reactor, kinetics, nuclear engineer, advanced math major, corporate CEO for one of the largest firms doing mergers and outsourcing and all that. And I, and I broke my neck and I, I went through a tunnel and I had a near death experience, which ended up being a complete existential crisis in my life. And uh, it took me six months to learn how to walk and talk and chew gum again. Um, but you know, the physical recovery was nothing compared to the mental recovery and suffering because it really shattered my definition of who I am, where I came from, why I'm here, and the purpose and meaning of life. And I, I, I quit the corporate job after I recovered, and I traveled the world. I launched a radio show. I, you know, began a quest like uh, Don Quixote or Monty Python or you know King Arthur. I'm not sure which, but you know, I I went into the forest searching for answers and came back out at the same place 12 years later and discovered, you know, the place for the first time. And the realization that I, that I am the spiritual being, that uh, I am a part of you, you are a part of me, we are all a part of the same air we breathe and water we drink, we share 99% the same DNA, we are less than one in one billion parts biologically and physically different, and that part, which is biological or physical, is can't even be seen with a microscope at 100 million times magnification. So, so my awakening was really that separation is, is an illusion and that unity is really the only way forward, unity in, in mind and body and being and spirit. And I spent many years trying to figure out how to take this sort of awakening. And as you know, I, I had the, the number one best-selling book, and I traveled around the country for four years, and that's where I met Kate. And I was talking about this new world mosaic where we build communities of individuals who are using healthy and organic food and and re renewable energy, because I was an energy expert, you know, for 25 years, and, and pure water, and we create these communities or unity villages, I call them sometimes, where we are one with the land and the air and each other, and, it, and we create jobs, and it's uh, highly productive. And one thing led to another, and it, and it became the Messenger Group, which is uh, the, the website is themessengergrp.com. And so me and a bunch of other wonderful people like Kate and, and others from around the world have this vision 
that in 10 years we can build a thousand acres of aquaponics and um, create 15 or 20,000 jobs, food that is far more nutritious, 100% natural, and build communities surrounding these aquaponics villages. So what you're doing is creating a model, (laughs) creating a model of, of both communal living and sustainability that can serve as inspiration for other people to build their own communities. Is that so? Yeah, that's it. And I mean, you know, uh, it says a little bit on the website, but you know, Miriam, there are hundreds of millions of people, if not billions, that are lacking in um, food and water and and certainly jobs. I mean, believe it or not, if you check some of the the health and and National Institute of Health and CDC and research, you will discover right now that 85% of Americans are lacking in a healthy nutritional diet. You will discover that there are 9 million children starving in America every day, let alone the world. You will discover that, you know, there are cities running out of water in California and 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 in Texas and many places. And so, you know, this isn't a luxury. You know, we out of necessity, the planet and Mother Nature are crying out for us to create renewable, regenerative energy solutions and water solutions and healthy organic food. So I think the you know the integrated living sustainable ecosystem model is is a beautiful solution that solves all these issues. Uh, perhaps uh, Kate, because you've been right there in the field, how does aquaponics differ from hydroponics, and how does that actually provide such a solution? Sure. Um, what I've come to learn with aquaponics. Um, so we started out with our. 1,500-square-foot greenhouse to learn and blunder with. And we were inspired by one of the most well-recognized teachers and leaders out there named Murray Hallam out of Australia. So we worked on reverse engineering his designs. And what we learned over the course of doing aquaponics for the last four years is that it does not require any commercial um, pesticides and fertilizers. Really, with the integration of having fish, um, into the system, their waste gets converted into the uh, by microbes and bacteria that live in the plant beds, which we have three quarter inch river rock that um, where this you know ecosystem of these microbes and healthy bacteria live, convert that waste into bioavailable food for the plants. And the water is cleaned and then returns back to the fish. And what we've seen is up to 50% faster growth rate for our vegetables and greens. It's absolutely phenomenal. And the, the taste is incredible. So even after owning my town where we did have a restaurant there, the produce actually lasts a lot longer and it's organic. Um, comes right out of the greenhouse and it's you can see, you know, what you feed your fish and where that fish waste goes and how it produces these wonderful plants that are thriving. And I just think about what a beautiful metaphor that is, um, that if we each had everything that we need to do our best and brightest growing, um, and that's exactly what's happening in the aquaponics system, we would be doing some pretty phenomenal things. So that's the major difference. Um, Hydroponics does use more water. 
the water does eventually go bad because you're adding nutrients and um, fossil fertilizers. There are some organics into there um, that you can also choose. Uh, but uh, basically, the water goes bad, and you have to discharge it. Aquaponics. Well, it's, it's significant, right, Kate? Recycling. I mean, it's 70 to, 90, 70 to 90% less water. Wow. So let me understand. You have these tanks of fish on top of which you place some kind of platform with, uh, I think you said, river rock, and then you put the plants in there. So do the plants' roots go down into the water? Yes, they do. And the river rock with the media beds is just one way that you can also do aquaponics. And then we also have um, the deep water culture side, which is uh, unique to a lot of the aquaculture practices. So you may have seen pictures on the Internet with rafts where there's, you know, lettuces floating. And maybe you've been in the grocery stores where you kind of see these clamshell packs where you see the roots in the um, uh-huh. the lettuces in the bottom and they wrap around. Well, that's what hydroponics and aquaponics does. So they just float there. The roots absorb the nutrients in the water. It's highly oxygenated. Um, Sounds I've got very a efficient. Set up in my, Miriam, I got a little set up in my office because I love this stuff so much. Uh, I got it as a surprise Christmas present. And so I've got my tropical fish aquarium, and on the top of my aquarium is uh, lettuce, arugula, kale, parsley (laughs) growing. And, uh, you know, like Kate says, it grows 50% faster. I harvest a crop of fresh salad uh, greens every two weeks, and I'm on, uh, I don't know, I think I've probably cut it down eight or ten times now in, uh, you know, four or five months. Oh, I know. And it tastes so good. It it makes your mouth water. It's crunchy. I've never tasted arugula and lettuce like this before. It's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. It has so much flavor. And I just remember when um, J.D. first came to visit us here at Ingenuity, we were doing a a trial down in our basement while we are building the, the greenhouse, and he got so excited. He's like, look at this. Can you imagine the potential of, like, how we could feed people? And I said, I know. So I'm so glad that he has a little kit there. So the, the <laughs> real stopped, potential. I stopped naming my fish, though. <laughs> I don't know if you heard that. Well, but, but Kate's fish actually are a, another crop, aren't they? Aren't they a protein crop? Yeah, we have we raised tilapia and we also raised koi. And we did learn mm-hmm. from about goldfish is that they they're it, this is kind of a funny story that we learned about doing a training last year that they actually are bred not to poop. And I guess it kind of makes sense for moms cleaning out their kids' fish tanks and whatnot. So we're we we always look for the big poopers because they, they definitely make the best, you know, tomatoes and also the vegetables and stuff. And then, yes, you can raise the fish um, for a crop that way as well. So you get a protein source out of that. Sorry, my mind is still going back to the constipated goldfish. Seriously? I know. Okay. <laughs> it's a we funny fact. Get your mind out of the gutter, gone. Miriam. <laughs> <laughs> Pun intended. <laughs> So um, this is really a potentially uh, fabulous solution for communities. How many uh, uh, people can 
one greenhouse of, I don't know, X, X feet feed. Have you done those calculations? Kate, can, can I take that one? Oh, yes. You've been chatting with Arvin, yes. so please, by all means, do that. Yeah. Well, let me let me go back and mention Murray Hollam, which is uh, Murray, M-U-R-R-A-Y, Hollam, H-A-L-L-A-M.com. Uh, Murray is the, you know, the master. Uh, he's been doing this for over a decade. He's recognized around the world as a master teacher. And uh, he came to the United States, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but one of his students was a young man named Arvind, Arvind Van Katerman. And um, Arvind was an, is an engineer from MIT. He went to like three classes of Murray's, and he became an expert. And so Arvind is now building the largest aquaponics farms around the world. Uh, no one has, has built more than one or two. Arvind has had 19 projects uh, and uh, four to 10 acres, the largest in the world. I think the largest is in China, 10 acres that he built. And so, you know, Kate introduced me to Murray and Arvind, and there's another gentleman named Bevan who really connected all of us, uh, Bevan Suits in Atlanta. So shout out to these three gentlemen. And we got together and started, you know, me doing my macro. You know, I was an economic advisor to governments and nations and innovation and and ecosystem development. So I took the little model and started to scale it. And the numbers are very solid. Basically, in a one-acre farm, you could generate 500,000 pounds of food, fish and greens and vegetables. So in a four-acre farm, you can generate 2 million pounds of food a year. Uh, that's about uh, 1.7 million meals using the USDA, USDA kind of standard of 1.2 pounds per meal. So, um, and as Kate said, no hormones, no chemicals, no pesticides, 100% natural, 70 to 90% less water, 50% faster growth. So, you know, the economic model is, is just one of the best models out there besides the health and nutrition. Now, you said it was uh, 90% less water than aquaponics. How does it compare to conventional agriculture? Uh, you, uh, it's 70 to 90 percent less water than traditional aqua, uh, agriculture. Um, and as Kate pointed out, hydroponics, which is what a lot of people know about and confuse with aquaponics, hydroponics doesn't use the fish. So it's aquaponics mm -hmm. when, when we use the fish instead of the chemicals and the nutrients come from the fish effluent. So, um, you know, that, those numbers, you can say it's 70 to 90% more efficient. It kind of depends a little bit on, on, on the size of the system and the scale and the efficiencies and whatnot. But 70 and what to about the space? Less water. What about the space well, in Well, uh, you know, like Kate said, you could, you could have a, a 500 square foot house, a, a greenhouse. You could put it in your garage, your basement. Mine's in my, my little fish tank's in my office, but the kind, you know, the kind of, that we're talking about with the messenger group, and we've all formed a coalition now, you know, Murray, Arvin, Devin, Kate, myself, and others have formed this coalition and, you know, sharing that vision that we want to, over the next 10 years, build, you know, a thousand acres, a billion dollars, uh, 500, uh, four or 500 million pounds of food, uh, 500 million pounds of food in a thousand acres. <clears throat> um, so you could start that. You know, you could do a 10,000 square foot 
facility, you know, in, you know, at 10,000 square feet. Um, you know, but the kind of... I, I'm just trying, you know, so, I'm trying to get an equivalency between planting your lettuces in the fields versus in a hydroponic or aquaponic facility. Um, what well, gonna, uh, the, the yeah. space space equivalent? Well, you're going to get you know you're you're going to get far more growth uh, and production or yield, as they say. And Kate can talk about some more of those numbers and her experiences. But the yield is going to be you know three, four, six times as much. I mean, it depends upon the crops that you're sure. using. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, Arvind is in Oman right now building a four-acre farm, and, and you can look at some pictures on the website. Again, that's themessengergrp.com under Pathways. There's some pictures on the Pathways page, and those pictures, those crops are four weeks old. So you can't come close to growing things that fast or healthy um, in traditional agriculture. And then the big difference Again, I'll, I'll, I'll stop talking after I say this and let Kate jump in, is the efficiencies. I mean, with water in traditional agriculture, 90% of the water and something like 50% of the, the nutrients, or maybe it's 80% of the nutrients, they're, they're gone in the dirt. You know, there's no dirt in mm-hmm. aquaponics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and certainly crazy. growing lettuces in the desert is challenging. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Kate, leap in. Well, that's the other thing, Kate. Yeah. Well, the other thing, you know, there was a giant aquaponics farm built in the middle of a desert in India. It's now one of the largest uh, wheat farm, wheat producing farms out of a desert. So, you know, the beauty is that, you know, if you're struggling with climate where you can't grow food or soil and you can't grow food or you don't have water and you can't grow food, you know, you can put these, you know, just about anywhere as long as it, you know, the weather is reasonable. I mean, it doesn't even have to be a very warm climate, you know. Yeah, people have done them all over the world. And, I mean, we've done some lettuce trials. And just for an example for lettuce, when you're growing them in the ground, conventional agriculture, it can take 56 days for it to mature. In aquaponic system, it's around 26. That's huge. Wow. So when you think about, you know, just when you're just growing lettuces, <laughs> that's mm-hmm. uh, and that's what a lot of people do with aquaponic systems and also hydroponics because it's a quick turnaround. But we do see with the fish affluence that um, they they taste a lot better, they hold up a lot better, um, even when you're shipping them or um, you know transporting them and stuff like that. Restaurants certainly absolutely love them because they can taste the difference. And just like Katie was saying, it depends on the crop that you're actually raising and growing. But um, what I just really love about this is that from the GMO-free perspective, you're not, you know, adding in things that are just unnatural. And mm-hmm. I just think so, about this for – oh, go ahead. I was just going to ask, what crops have you tried in this system? Oh, my gosh. We have we've done all sorts of kinds of tomatoes turn out phenomenal. They do not taste like the cardboard tomatoes that are in the grocery stores that we often see out of um, hydroponic systems. 
they taste really super um, flavorful. And another interesting little factoid is, is that we had a gentleman who does his own organic farm up in Washington, and he brought this little handy-dandy tool called a bricks um, uh, tool that basically measures the sugar contents in foods down. And this little um, brick scale, ours uh, tested out with our tomatoes um, on the, the realm of 12, where his were coming in at around a 6 or 7. So that meant that this was just absolutely, you know, the, the sugar and carbohydrate content in there was is what gave it a lot of the flavor for the tomatoes. And we could mm-hmm. see that in the kales as well. We, we've measured that as well. So he was just like, wow, this is just, you know, um, performing superbly compared to my organic garden that I've been doing. Right. So, Kate, do you use only what you would call salad vegetables, you know, things that grow above the ground? What about things like berries or root vegetables? Yeah, those are great questions. Um, We've, you know, going back to your previous question of like what else we have grown in there, um, I'll just kind of run through a few things that we have in our system right now. We have kales, we have lettuces. We have tomatoes, squashes, pumpkins, watermelons, strawberries. Um, We even have a lemon tree. We have asparagus growing, um, oregano, um, thyme, and all sorts of other different spices that we love to use in our cooking. Uh, Mm -hmm. Sage does really well during this time of the year in the fall, and rosemary is a super happy plant in there. Um, there's just lots. And one of the things that we do for our, our root vegetables, like when you think about carrots or potatoes, we actually do a different kind of technique called wicking beds. And what you do there is you have um, you know, gravel on this bottom of this um, container, and that's probably like two or three inches. And then we have a, a ground cloth that goes over that. And the rest is composted dirt. And then we have a... Uh, a little plumbing system that allows the fish water excrement to, to seep into the bottom of the, the bed, and it's wicked up by the root vegetables. So we've mm-hmm. done experiments where we put, you know, carrots in the media beds and stuff like this because um, when you see our system, it's constantly filling and draining. And what we've learned is that your, your little roots are only going to go as far as to find the water. And if it's always coming up to the same height, you're going to have little stubby carrots. <laughs> so we've learned that um, in the compost mixture, they do really well. And the extra added benefit of doing the wicking beds is that um, your top two inches of your soil stay dry. So they're even more efficient than you know conventional gardening as well, where J.D.'s mentioned that a lot of the water just seeps away and it's gone so this is a a nice little container there but we've we've experimented with a lot of different things um and just continuously learning and then with certainly arvin's expertise i always enjoy when he and marie come every year in fact we're getting ready to do our next event kicking off on uh, saturday october 1st we'll do a welcoming dinner and then we're doing a four-day master class of um, small farms and commercial um, aquaponic uh, masterclass for individuals that are looking to learn more. I always am so impressed with how these two innovators are coming up with new techniques, new ideas, and new information as they collaborate with people from all over the world. Well, where can people get information about this uh, event? Um, 
Yes, great question. So this information could be found on my website at youringenuity.com. And right on the homepage there, you'll see a picture of, of who I affectionately recall. Say that uh, it's Murray Hallam. He's the godfather of modern aquaponics. <laughs> so you can see his picture mm-hmm. there and click on that and get all sorts of information. Like I said, we'll be kicking off the event this Saturday at 6 p.m. for a welcoming dinner. And then Sunday we go right into a four-day master class with people that are coming from all over. Now, are these people who actually have are experienced farmers, or what kind of background do you need to become a aquaponics farmer? Well, I'm living proof that you you don't need to have um, experience for sure. Um, I've certainly gone about this and, and learning from the community, you know, research and design, you know, perspective. Um, but we've, this is our second year for doing this class, and I've met folks that are actually doing aquaponics farms. Um, we've met some that are doing orphanages, others that are getting commercial systems off the ground. We have a lot of folks that are looking at how they can take their farms and basically grow year-round. And there's certainly a lot of conversation, especially happening with climate change, about other ways to do things. Um, there's even a lot more interest about how the application of aquaponics could be even applied to growing medicine. So that's an interesting thing when you think about um, having this really highly nutrient-dense, you know, um, mm-hmm. plant or produce or medicine that is just jam-packed full of nutrients where, I mean, my gosh, what could that do for the, the health of, of a body and for healing? So we're seeing more and more people coming from all sorts of different backgrounds, um, and there's a lot of younger people, I'll say, that are I do see coming through the classes where they don't want to participate in contributing to these things that are not um, bringing about health and abundance to people, and they're looking for another way. So this is one of the things that we've really done to cultivate here at Ingenuity is how do we help create a community of support where you may not be the business person, but how can you connect in with others that can help you if you really have a passion for farming and agriculture to, to bring your vision to life. So that's that's been one of our focuses as kind of stepping in as a, a rural innovation center in that regard and providing the support mm-hmm. and, and just showing as a living example that you don't need um, – money and infrastructure to be able to get your dream off the ground. It just takes community support, which is at the heart of everything that we do. Well, you probably do need some money. I I know that J.D. has his little uh, tropical fish farm in his Mm -hmm. office. Uh, Can this be scaled up, say, to a backyard gardener? And what kind of – and would your event be suitable for that level – and what kind of investment are we talking about? That's a great question. So one of the things that we're doing here at the class and workshop is that um, we are building a, a Murray Hallam's design called an Indy 23. And this is 23 cubic square meters of aquaponic space that feeds a family of four. So we do have the, the raft beds for the floating lettuces. And then we also have the wicking beds and the media beds. So we're going to be constructing this in our brand-new second greenhouse. Um, So 
participants can basically get hands-on experience. And the interesting thing is, is that um, Arvind Ben Katterman, who attended one of Murray's workshops, you know, participated in learning just from the system that Murray talked about with Andy 23. And he took this concept and looked at scaling this up. So going back to, you know, the big picture of what we're all looking at, you can do this from the small side and and then also bring this up to the large side. I mean, what we did here at Ingenuity was we looked at all sorts of materials that we don't always get a second look to that um, are around here in the Pacific Northwest, like food-grade containers, um, pallets that get just, you know, recycled or discarded. And we went on a scavenger hunt to build our own system out of um, these different parts and pieces. In fact, many of the the parts that we're doing for the Indy 23 build were recycled and upcycled materials that were just being discarded from a lot of these uh, building and construction sites. So we put it out to our community, and, and lo and behold, they showed up. In, uh, so if you were to buy all of the stuff brand new with the exception of the greenhouse, it would cost you probably about $6,000 to feed a family mm -hmm. of four. And then depending if you're going to be doing a small um, farm or commercial size, we'd certainly recommend that you spend some time um, talking with Arvind and Murray about getting the right equipment um, to be able to, to produce on a commercial level because it's very different when you're actually growing uh, food for a distributor, a restaurant, or, um, you know, a farmer's market and whatnot. So, J.D., you're the numbers man. Let me just say, Murray's got some really great videos that are free at murrayhallam.com. Again, M-U-R-R-A-Y-H-A-L-L-A-M.com. Uh, I think he's got about 20 videos, and he shows, um, you know, building the 23-square-meter, which is 250 square feet, all the way up to greenhouses, all the way up to, you know, acre farms. And... Uh, and you said millions of views on some of these videos. They're really great. What were you going to ask, Miriam? Well, I was going to ask if the initial investment is about $6,000 for this uh, family of four-sized operation. Uh, how does that compare with an annual food budget? And what, it, what would be the payback period? And and this is oh, leaving less, aside, of course, the enhanced nutrition of the food. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's less than a less year. Less than a year? Uh, oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, a lot of people don't realize it, but food, uh, if you're doing your budgets and you track your expenses or expenditures, you'll realize that uh, food is a huge uh, component of your living expenses. And on a national average, it's about $300 to $500 a person a month. That's what we spend, well, that's what we spend on food. And, um, you know, and that depends on how much meat or produce you're buying and, you know, that sort of thing. But $300 mm -hmm. to $500 a person a month is kind of the average family food bill. And um, so, um, you know, you're, I mean, just to just calculate what you would spend on the vegetables and the greens and, you know, it's a one-time setup, and, uh, of course, you're buying some feed for the fish, and you're replenishing about 5% of the water in, in your tank a month. But, you know, in my little tank, you know, that just comes out of my tap. You know, I've got good tap water. But, 
you know, that's, you, you can buy a Brit. I mean, if you got a small unit and you're, you're doing 10 gallons a month, buy yourself a Brita filter and, you know, and take out any contaminants. The, the, the key is, of course, you got to have good pure water with no chlorine and, and, uh, you know, stuff in it that would hurt the fish. And you can't put the difference between, say, my little garden aquaponics tank in my office and, and a regular aquarium is, you know, it's, there's no chemicals. You know, I'm not using any chemicals to take out the chlorine or chemicals, you know, for the food, for the fish. So it's, it's got to be 100% natural. But, um, yeah, so, but once you build, you, you know, if you built that $6,000 unit, uh, you're done, you know? I mean, it's just going to keep, you know, you take care of it. It's just going to keep going. So this is our final segment. I want to focus in on the bigger vision of how you see this meeting a global need and where you want to take it. Well, J.D., do you want to take this one? That, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a great one. Um, so... You know, we're not just talking about aquaponics and food. Uh, and, and don't forget in that whole discussion, besides the vegetables and greens, you're getting the fish protein. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's the idea of an ecosystem. You know, uh, we all live in an ecosystem where we're trying to maintain the balance between the air, the planet, the water, the food, our bodies, the environment, and so forth. And as I said in the first segment, you know, the needs are massive. You know, the percent, if we just focus on the United States, which we consider to be one of the largest industrialized nations in the world, we still have 25% of children living in poverty, huge percentages, as I mentioned, eight or 9%, uh, you know, children starving every day, um, 85% malnourished. One of the reasons we're malnourished is because the food that we buy, which is processed foods, um, has a lot of the, the nutrients that we normally need are stripped out in the processing process and, and then as well in the cooking process. And then secondly, or third, um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, uh, fructose and sugar and corn syrup and hormones and chemicals and pesticides, which is further contaminating our bodies. And so, you know, when you do some of the research at a, you know, a macro national kind of level, one of the reasons why, you know, diabetes has increased threefold and um, heart disease and obesity, uh, you know, 36% of the population obese is because we're just not eating right. And we're not eating, you know, then the stuff we're eating is, it doesn't have the nutrients. So the whole idea at the big picture is that we build a community around the aquaponics farm as a catalyst. And so the food that's generated, and again, I'll I'll give you a a one-acre model. You know, a one-acre model generates 500,000 pounds of food and greens and vegetables and fish. That's 400,000 meals in one-acre farm which, you know, when you build it and integrate it with the energy, uh, you know, solar power, wind power, and even a water generation unit, you know, you're talking it might be 2 to $3 million. It could be more. It depends on greenhouses and things like that. But um, you're also going to be generating a couple of million dollars a year from that. And so 
So if I go to a four-acre farm and I spend $8 million, I'm going to be generating $8 million of revenue a year, which is about 70 to 90% return on investment. And from there, you can create 80 jobs. You can integrate it with the local schools or university and have internships. You can give food to the food bank. You can be selling it to a farmer's market. And, you know, I'm going to flip it back to Kate. It becomes a whole community way of living, you know, where people who care about saving the planet, conserving water, having healthy food, pure water, and, um, you know, who share values of sustainability and whole health and wellness. And so, Kate, let me, let me flip it back to you so you can talk about the human capital and community point of, point of view. Sure. Well, what I see from, you know, our biggest vantage point is if, if we're able to get people's needs met and we are working collectively together, ideally we should be able to free up some time for each other and helping each other get out of debt, which is a big thing because there's so much energy focused on just barely surviving. And if we can work collectively and collaboratively together, you know, we can do a lot of our own inner work and a lot of the healing which is needing to happen so we can actually come up with ways to step into our genius, our, our creative self, our, our passion, our purpose. And what we, you know, J.D. and the team and I have had just wonderful conversations of imagining the possibilities of, of what this could bring if, if people are, are willing to do these steps. And we see that there's going to be lots of different pathways that these things could unfold. And this is kind of the, the journey we get to go on together. We're not exactly sure where we're going or how it's going to unfold, but the vision we know is doable with the numbers. Um, we've certainly been doing this, you know, on a micro level here at Ingenuity for the last, you know, close to five years where, you know, my husband and I helped found the land with Aaron's mom, who's an art therapist, and then attracted in another couple of people who, um, Brad and Lisa are stepping on board to help out with the retreat side with their vision. And we've touched so many people's lives where they're very inspired about, yes, we, we recognize we need to do something different, but we don't know what that is. And it's just very curious, you know, to me that, um, that we, if we have the space to be able to create and, um, and try different things, I have no doubt that some of the most amazing solutions are there. We just need the time and space to do that. So that's also something that's being integrated in here. So we're focusing again on helping people get basic needs met with the food, the water, the health, the energy, um, those basics, certainly with the job piece. And then as we start to build community connections, which food is such a great connector, everybody has stories around food and recipes. Then we, um, and we are living proof, we're seeing the shift. We're seeing community and connections being built that really do help heal our communities and bring about new ideas that really are creating sustainable solutions. I've seen some reports on the web of people building hydroponic um, installations on rooftops in inner cities. And as we know, inner mm -hmm. cities tend to be a kind of nutritional wasteland. Is yeah. high, is aquaponics equally suitable, or are the weight requirements of the water too heavy? No, I don't think oh, so. I mean, you're replacing the, the yeah. dirt. 
Yeah, you're replacing the dirt, which is also very heavy with the water. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you don't need a lot of water flowing through. And, you know, when you think about those big buildings, you know, think about the construction that's required and all the water and plumbing that's already in the buildings, um, which is one of the reasons why we're interested in talking to real estate developers, you know, with the big, with the big macro vision model, you know, we're, we're interested in talking to real estate developers, uh, economic uh, zone development planners, you know, economic development planners, mm-hmm. and nation states, you know, or, or municipalities. You know, I think of several cities in California where, you know, they're short on water, the, the, the farming land is, is limited, and, but yet you've got a lot of sun. And so, you know, you put solar film over the greenhouses. You know, there's some of the new emerging technologies. We integrate the emerging technologies with the, you know, solar and wind and water. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a beautiful model and it creates jobs. You know, there's, <clears throat> you could call them farmers if you want, but there's biologists, there's botol, you know, botologists, or uh, there's aqu- aquaculturists, you know, botanists, thank you aquaculturists, there's uh, herbalists, you know, nutritionists, you know, uh, educating and trainers, you know, so it's a whole economic, you know, model. Well, it's a model that may be forced on us because I I think I read that the temperature zones for agriculture have actually shifted north a whole zone. I mean, our, our traditional agricultural models are going to have to change anyway, and particularly mm-hmm. in the southern part of the United States, which has generally been our our agricultural focus. Uh, it's getting too hot and too dry. So this sounds like it could be uh, the answer to a maiden's prayer. Well, we if you so. can do it in um, Oman, was- you can do it in Arizona. Yeah, if yep. you can build a Absolutely. farm out of a desert in India, and you can build farms mm-hmm. in Oman, and you know, you you can do it anywhere. In fact, there's a there's a guy in Singapore that's building aquaponics farms on roofs roofs of the of the buildings in Singapore. So it's popping up. Well, everywhere. this is the kind of this is absolutely the kind of thinking. Not not just from the technology point of view, but also what so excites me is the integrated community point of view that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a lot so, of fun, Miriam. You know, it's, it's <laughs> I, have, I get so excited, you know, cutting my crops, you know, in my little office tank, and and you know, I know you must have sent me that it's photo fun. ten times. <laughs> it's oh, just as oh, well that sorry. you don't have goldfish. Um, so, yeah. you we only have a couple of minutes left. Tell us again about the event where people can find out about it and and who it should who should come to it all right anybody that's interested in learning about aquaponics i encourage you to go to youringenuity.com that's y o u r i n g e n u i t y.com and there you will see the godfather of modern aquaponics named murray hallam the event is on our homepage there uh, we kick it off on Saturday, October 1st for a, a welcoming dinner. And 2016. And four-day master class. And if you're interested in uh, any, if you're an economic zone planner, a real estate developer, someone looking at new municipalities, uh, you know, uh, industrial planning, 
um, then go to themessengergrp.com, uh, and uh, that's the messenger group, and uh, you'll see our vision and uh, our team, and you can contact me on the contact page. Well, you seem to have both sides of the equation pretty well wrapped up. This is fantastic. I, I'm so excited for both of you. And I look forward to some wonderful news. Maybe we'll have you back in uh, when do you, when do you think you will have your next project well, underway? They, when should Well, by the way, if they want to meet you or they want to meet me, I'll be there with Kate and Murray and Arvin and Bevan, and uh, you're going to be joining us Saturday night too, right? Right, Saturday night. Okay, so it's JD Messenger, Kate Wildrick. The Messenger Group and the Ingenuity, youringenuity.com. See you there. See you next week. Thank you for joining us. All right. Thank you, Miriam. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Kate. Bye. Bye Bye for now.